So Masayoshi Son, the CEO of investing firm SoftBank, appears to be unwinding his investment in Jack Ma's uh, tech giant Alibaba. Now, this move would absolutely mark an unceremonious end to one of the most coveted business partnership in history. Now, the reasons being cited for this is the government of China's involvement into the entire startup ecosystem. And considering the way funding in India has also been declining, that raises a lot of questions. But last week, the government seemed to be pretty much active with, you know, conducting raids and filing reports with the police throughout across industries. And we'll be talking about that in this week's roundup. So welcome back to the Startup Operators Weekly Roundup. The Weekly Roundup is the show for people who want to stay updated with major developments in the Indian startup ecosystem. If you're new to the podcast, please do subscribe and share it with folks you think that will enjoy the show. Now, July has been a considerably low month in terms of fundings and the amount of money that flows in the ecosystem. But hopefully August will be a better month for all. So with that, Roshan, let's kick this off with your thoughts on what you see happening in the ecosystem this month. Hey, it's been an uh, interesting uh, week for sure. So last week as well, I mean, the Commonwealth Games has been fascinating. India is uh, fifth in the medals tally right now. 12 out of 12 wrestlers won a medal. And I was particularly thrilled at uh, Avinash Sable's run in the 3000 meters steeplechase. Now, again, these are events that we normally don't follow, right? But it was just thrilling to watch him keep pace with the Kenyans uh, all through the race and then sneak in uh, for a silver, right? And I would say, I mean, very narrowly missed out the gold. India as a sporting nation has a long way to go. And these kind of folks, right, the Neera Chopras or the Avinash Sablays, they take tens, perhaps like, you know, 10, 15 years uh, to sort of develop that ecosystem. And uh, I'm just really thrilled for know what will happen in the next uh, 10 or 20 years from a sporting perspective already i mean if you look at our medal tally and everything i think the sheer breadth of performance right has been amazing there's also some talk about uh, you know the commonwealth games being a little biased against us because you know they haven't really included archery or shooting and all of that citing some logistics reasons whereas i mean they have multiple events in swimming for example so it kind of skews the medal medals against us but hey Something to be optimistic about, something to be positive about, uh, that India is doing well in sports, certainly inspires the nation. What else? It's been fun. I mean, Bangalore is gloomy. We've been seeing veins uh, for the last, like, I don't know, three, four weeks now. Amazing weather. Really amazing weather. So earlier this year in April, uh, Elon Musk made this big announcement that he would be acquiring Twitter and promised to loosen the company's policing of content and root out fake accounts. But since then, Twitter and the world's richest man has been locked in a huge legal battle. On June 5th, Twitter approached the Karnataka High Court against the government of India's orders to take down some content and uh, disable few Twitter handles on its platform, citing that it was violating the laws. Elon Musk recently said in his uh, arbitration in the court of Delaware that Twitter had initiated these risky litigations against the Indian government thereby placing its third largest market at risk. Elon asserted that Twitter failed to disclose his litigations and the investigation. And to that, Twitter is responding, saying that all interactions with the Indian government has been widely reported by the media. Hence, it wasn't a secret. Twitter also rejected the claims that India is the third largest market for the company in an attempt to discredit the serious lapse that was pointed by Elon. Now, this is really interesting, not only how the entire acquisition is going on, but also India being the largest market for Twitter and at the same time, how our indigenous social media platforms are up and coming. So I'd really love to hear your take on it. 
Yeah, this is probably the worst case of buyer's remorse uh, in the history of the world, I think, right? $44 billion for Twitter seems like a, a bit much. And given all of the other troubles and tantrums that uh, this entails. So Elon is, uh, you know, again, you know, one can't really psychoanalyze all of these things, but he is trying his level best to sort of lower the cost, right? I mean, and it's well within his right to ask these questions, right? Whether it's about the bots or whether... Hey, what are you doing fighting governments in different places and making these arbitrary policies and everything? Now, we've seen Twitter, you know, function like a supranational entity at times, right? I mean, whether it's with banning President Trump's Twitter account or, you know, they've done some stuff in uh, India and Nigeria and emerging economies, especially. Right. And Twitter has this very convenient uh, sort of a duality, right? I mean, when you ask them about uh, some of the content on the platform, they say, hey, I mean, we're just pipes and infrastructure. We're just a platform. And then when it suits them, I mean, they tend to editorialize as well, right? I mean, they, they do have a perspective. Why else would you staff your teams with hundreds of policy folks, right? I mean, I never understood that. If you are pipes and infrastructure, why do you need policy folks making judgments on what we should see or should not see? Anyway, I mean, I think this is good. I mean, it, it's good that the dirty laundry is coming out in the open and it's good that we get to know you know i mean uh, twitter claims that uh, uh, only five percent of the users are bots right which i think you know elon is absolutely right i don't think it's five percent for sure right anyone who has spent even two days on twitter understands that that's not true and uh, it's perfectly valid to ask whether it's five percent or twenty percent or forty percent some of the ways that they've tried to measure this also seems very very arcane not at all sophisticated right i mean they just had someone randomly look up 100 accounts and then figure that hey 95 accounts were all right and five were not actually elon suggested brute forcing it right i mean he just suggested hey have you tried calling them so this is yeah it's 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 kind of interesting and uh, if you're serious about the business that you run and if you're serious about caring for users and so on right i mean you would not take up positions against a government you know any company must have to abide by the rules and uh, uh, regulations in in the country and that is part for the course i mean you can't act like the supranational entity that uh, twitter often does also this begs the question in terms of data privacy in terms of uh, indigenous social networks and all of those things which are again very complex problems these are uh, you know these are things that you can't regulate very easily as well i mean it's a very hairy problem china has you know gone the other way and has been extremely autocratic in terms of what they allow some of these platforms to do i don't know if that will work for us here but you know regulation will have to kind of figure itself uh, out in the meantime i mean we have this whole popcorn uh, masala with uh, elon and twitter at it but i do think that he will potentially lose the case if not at least have to pay a fine because it's a regulated entity right so yeah we'll see what happens well but talking about grabbing your popcorn and enjoying the show for many of the crypto investors in india they're like baffled with what's going on and this is resulting from a very simple question which is who owns india's largest crypto exchange that's uh, Wazirx. Both founders of Wazirx and Binance have entered into a public row that sparked after a search conducted by the ED on one of the directors of Zanmai Lab, which is the parent entity of Wazirx. The Binance CEO, Changpeng Zhao, on Twitter had made it clear that the company does not own Wazirx 
as there was no transfer of shares. However, Nishal Shetty said that Zanmai Labs, that owns Wazirx, has a license from Binance to operate INR crypto pairs. He also said that Binance operates crypto to crypto pairs and processes crypto withdrawals from the company. Now, it's very interesting because I think a couple of months back, Binance had put out a blog on its website talking about the whole acquisition. And now when EB is conducting raids due to money laundering cases by Indian NBFC companies and their fintech partners, has brought this whole topic to light again. And now both are denying the claims of the acquisition. Here, Nishal is saying that Binance had acquired Wazirx and Binance CEO is saying, no, we did not. What exactly is going on here? Well, it, it looks steady and it uh, shows very poorly on both founders, if you ask me, right? I mean, both of them announced this on their blogs that, you know, the acquisition had happened and it was kind of seen as a milestone moment for Indian crypto as such, right? Binance, which is the world's largest uh, cryptocurrency exchange, uh, kind of acquiring one of our startups. And, you know, I mean, the point of contention seems to be that, uh, you know, Nistel is arguing that, hey, I mean, I've given you root access to our AWS servers. And then, you know, CZ keeps uh, saying that, you know, another sh- shares were uh, transferred and we would love to help and so on, right? It's just a case of, I think, both of them realizing that, hey, this enforcement directorate thing is uh, something to deal with, right? And uh, neither wants to sort of take responsibility for that, right? Although, I mean, CZ has said that we would love to help. So, I mean, it's it's just very weird, actually. And, you know, they had these this whole Twitter battle one up against each other. I mean, it, it's just just a distraction from all of the other good stuff that should happen, you know? So, yeah, I mean, we ho- I hope that, you know, they figure things out and move on. Another tweet which CZ had put out was that it had actually licensed uh, Wazirx to use its infrastructure, whereas Wazirx was responsible for the entire KYC user journey and even onboarding new users. So how is that playing out, considering we have the whole crypto regulations also underplay in India? Hey, but they did come up with this blog saying that, you know, I mean, we acquired Wazirx, right? I mean, uh, in so many words. So what was that about? I mean, if you're going to treat them as a partner, then it should just have been a partnership, right? I mean, why why call it an acquisition in that case, right? Nistel has uh, kind of moved on. I mean, he's building an L1 scaling uh, solution, I think, at this point of time. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's just very weird to watch, actually. It's also fun <laughs> to keep a track of all of these things. And folks, um, if you also enjoy content like this, uh, don't forget to hit the like button and also share the video so that more people like you can discover the content. Moving on, uh, India's personal data protection bill which was five years in the making, was withdrawn by the government last week. This bill was uh, tabled in the parliament in 2019. And this withdrawing caused a lot of criticism. Also, the parliament back in 2019 had decided to form a joint committee comprising 30 members from both houses to examine it. Now, industry experts are pretty divided over this decision to withdraw the bill and replacing it with a new quote-unquote comprehensive legal framework and contemporary digital privacy laws for regulating the online space. The criticism was primarily because of the bias towards the data collection entity. So for example, if any user wants to withdraw their consent from sharing their data, it is possible, but uh, the user will have to give a valid reason or bear the legal consequence for such withdrawal. What exactly constitutes a valid reason is also very subjective. Now, Another major drawback of the bill was a proposed provision called the data localization under which it would have been mandatory for companies to store a copy of certain sensitive personal data within India and export the undefined critical personal data from the country would be prohibited. Now, this really comes in at a very interesting point in time, considering last week, we just discussed how Google partnered with Genesis International to enable Street View back again in India. Now, that was also a feature which was disabled a couple of years back, citing reasons for, you know, data 
privacy and to hide critical military installations. How do you think this will pan out? Because where India is going, I think personal data protection bill is one of the highest asks of the time. See, we just spoke about regulation being complex and hairy, right? And uh, that's just what it is, right? I mean, and with a lot of things in India, I mean, it's always two steps forward, one step back or... Sometimes, I mean, as it happens, it's one step forward and two steps back. This whole data protection bill has been in the works uh, since 2012 and it gained a lot of uh, steam at least over the last four or five years. And as you pointed out, I think the couple of contentious things, uh, one is data localization and the other is the fact that it makes an exemption for uh, the government or government agencies and which people kind of view as, uh, hey, I mean, it could lead to some kind of a surveillance and uh, it could be misused and so on. See, I'm going to say something which is kind of scandalous, but it has to be said anyway, right? There is a balance between services and privacy. And for a lot of folks, I mean, they would trade services for privacy. And I'm not even talking about other level of life-changing innovation. How many of us, I mean, we have so many logins and passwords in so many different websites or apps or whatnot. How many of us trade that on a regular basis, right? I mean, we can live without these apps or services, but we choose to give our public information in exchange for, I don't know, maybe a funny video or maybe you know some software tool or whatever and then when you look at stuff like Aadhaar which is key for plenty of things look at the last couple of years you know we would not have managed all of this last mile delivery without Aadhaar 800 million people uh, in India got services got ration got money and everything all due to Jandan Aadhaar and mobile would they care about privacy Yes, but I would argue that they would care about services more. So if you ask me, privacy and services are a trade-off, right? And uh, you can't have both. It's just simply impossible at this point of time. Having said that, it is important for us to have guardrails. It is important for us to have regulation. And the personal data production bill is very, very important. I do hope that the newer form of the bill is less complex. It has less of these ambiguities. Like, for example, the previous one had defined something like sensitive data, critical data, and financial data. And except the the fact that, you know, I mean, they hadn't really made it clear what is sensitive and what is critical data. And they had said that you could collect this data as long as a copy of the data stayed in the country, right? All of this is, again, you know, I mean, stuff that platforms or startups or businesses can't really plan around, right? I mean, if your entire business is going to be based on data, like in the case of some of the platforms, all of the platforms, then this kind of ambiguity just screws your planning up, right? And I guess that was the point of contention. I did see some really bizarre coverage in the media that you know, someone was saying that, hey, I mean, our data could actually be more protected by the GDPR and that, you know, technically it's safer in uh, Europe than in India. I mean, I don't really know what to say to that, except that it's a very absurd sort of proposition, right? That uh, you would rather choose to, a anyway, I mean, that that's not even worth discussing, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, it is difficult, you know, I mean, these are problems that don't have a black and white answers. I mean, there's a lot of gray and fighting through that and lending clarity and doing what's right is, uh, is definitely, definitely challenging. And we have spoken about plenty of ecosystems that are going to come up, right? I mean, the health stack, the account aggregators framework and so on and so forth. Now, all of these will obviously involve data sharing between entities and so on, right? I mean, how is all this going to be regulated is another question that, uh, you know, will present itself. I will say that, you know, I mean, simple is better broad-based is better trying to get too micro on these things when you don't really know how things pan out a lot of times i mean it can be detrimental so let's see if uh, the new bill comes up i think the frustration is that 
you know, it'll probably take another 18 months or maybe two two years for another bill to come up. And a lot of people were hoping that, you know, it'll get passed in the winter session this time, but uh, it wasn't. Let's hope that it is resolved as soon as possible because it's really, really important. Data, as, you know, multiple folks have mentioned, is the new oil, is the new everything. And it's also a matter of sovereignty, I should say, right? If you look at 2020, how we banned the Chinese apps, and if you look at some of the data that's come up, you know, since, right, in terms of, you know, how many things they collect and how it could be sort of misused, I think it's absolutely necessary. Let's hope we see something imminently. But this also raises a, a very important question. I mean, this data bill is taking close to like nine years to come into effect. And considering how fast things move digitally don't you think the bills just might become obsolete just after a few years no it has to be broad based you know see we are talking about a very fundamental thing right i mean supreme court identified privacy as a fundamental right now i am not sure how much of that is practical and the executive is tasked with being practical at a scale that is like you know 1.4 billion people right so again you know it's 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 a very hairy challenge i would say Okay, so moving on to the next piece of news, Reliance Industries have started onboarding independent sellers and D2C brands uh, for its own marketplace platform, which will be called GeoMarket. And it is stated that it will be unveiled in the coming weeks so that you know operations can start during the festive season. The internal work is now almost complete and focus is now on starting with a good volume of quality sellers before they aggressively rope in independent sellers so that they can be launched soon. Now, Geo is also claiming that Geo market is going to do to India's e-commerce industry what Geo did to the telecom industry. Now, that is a very tall claim considering the market is, is practically a duopoly between Amazon and Flipkart. So how do you think that this will play this out? This is kind of the perfect time for them to enter, right? I mean, so Amazon and Flipkart have built the market over the last 15 years. They've spent a lot of money in terms of changing uh, you know, consumer behavior in terms of building the infrastructure, having all of these uh, sellers onboarded and so on. And now, you know, Reliance can come in at sort of the fraction of the price and set up the same thing, right? Having said that, I don't think it will be as important as just, you know, building another website and getting people to transact there. Obviously, you know, I mean, they, they will have to be competitive. They will have to be comprehensive and all of that. I think the key thing in e-commerce is uh, the ONDC, right? Open Network for Digital Commerce, which is going to come up at some point of time. People say that it's not practical. People say that it'll be difficult to implement and so on. But hey, I mean, if something like ONDC comes up, then all of these folks have one of their biggest competitive modes removed, right? Which is the fact that, hey, I mean, they have the most com comprehensive products and also the proprietary algorithms, right? I mean, in terms of what they privilege first over another. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting time, I would say, in India e-commerce, right? And uh, there is certainly a lot of scope for a lot of verticalized marketplaces, right? I don't see too many of these you know, e-commerce, Flipkart, geo-market type of marketplaces emerge, right? Especially with ONDC in the works. It'll more or less be a lot of verticalized marketplaces that will come up and that could be interesting. We've seen these whole managed marketplaces uh, that we've spoken about earlier, right? I mean, Zetwork, Vizongo, all of those folks. On the B2B side, how they've been able to sort of layer platform, software, financing and all of that to build a really tight ecosystem. I mean, uh, so something similar could happen on the B2C side as well. So we could also see a lot of verticalized marketplaces uh, emerge. Yeah, and also um, these are kind of troubled times for the Indian e-commerce as well, right? I mean, especially if you look at what's going on with Cloudtail. Cloudtail is not a seller on Amazon India anymore after the e-tailer bought a 100% stake in pre-owned. The current uh, regulations for FDI and e-commerce do not 
allow an entity running an online marketplace or its any of its group companies to own equity in any of the sellers on the platform. Now, Cloudtail is among a handful of online uh, sellers that were raided in an investigation of Amazon and Walmart's Flipkart over suspected preferential treatment on e-commerce. Do you think the whole ONDC will help alleviate some of these uh, confusions? Oh, absolutely. So the fact that some of these platforms are monopolistic is one of the reasons why the ONDC was conceived. The the fact that e-commerce is an important thing and shouldn't be the right of you know one or two or three platforms to dictate how India e-commerce pans out. So the basic contention you know with the Competition Council of India or Metis and all of those folks being involved in e-commerce is that these platforms have their own cell phone brands and they tend to privilege them over the others, right? Which is a way for some of these uh, folks, whether it's Amazon and Flipkart and so on, to increase margins on the business as well, right? I mean, they have all of this rich data in terms of what consumers are buying and what their preferences are and so on. And they're using these to basically drive consumption of their own brands, right? At one point in time, I think Cloudtail was responsible for over 40% of all uh, merchandise sale in India. Yeah, I mean, see, that proves a point, right? Pretty much. There have been a lot of protests against this. You know, Swadeshi, Jagran Munch and a few of these small and medium uh, businesses uh, have all banded together and... Uh, said that, hey, this is grossly unfair and that, uh, you know, the platforms are screwing them out of business. So Cloudtail has sought some kind of clarification against this, but I think there will be some kind of regulation here as well. So there was a draft policy on e-commerce that was uh, introduced sometime back, which had, you know, wide-ranging consequences on all of the stakeholders involved. And some of the things that they meant to cover was these things, right? How much of their own stuff can platforms sell? Who will take liability for, you know, some of the products being sold and and many of these things, right? Now, issue is in anything e-commerce, multiple agencies, entities get involved, right? I mean, it could be the Metis, which is the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology. It could be the Competition of Council of India. It could be the Commerce Ministry and so on. So, I think some kind of clarity in terms of regulation will really help because, you know, we made the point that, you know, entrepreneurs or businesses don't like ambiguity. They don't want to operate with loopholes and with a lot of lawyers and, and so on involved. So so I suppose, I mean, this is again one of those things which uh, regulation will kind of clarify. So yeah, most likely uh, soon we will see Geo Market also on the ONDC platform. But this is not Reliance's only company operating in this network. We have Dunzo that's already working as a logistics partner that's backed by Reliance. And uh, last week, Grab also uh, officially announced its partnership with the network. And this is Reliance's formal entry as well. The integration of third-party logistics players on ONDC would really be crucial to fulfill the order deliveries, right? That would be placed in the network. Currently, ONDC executives are busy onboarding merchants, logistics partners, and other stakeholders on the network. So more transactions can be done across the country. Something to like think about is the current service levels by Amazon and Flipkart, very satisfactory for most users, right? And the value proposition of ONDC, do you think it will actually be strong enough for, you know, consumers to make the shift to this platform? See, ONDC is a network and not a platform. We've clarified this. And it's something that all e-commerce entities will have to comply with. So... I am actually more excited by all of the e-commerce enablement uh, providers, right? I mean, whether it's likes of Delivery or Shiprocket or these folks, Grab, who are going to benefit from all of this stuff. Now, Grab has multiple services, uh, right? You can request on-demand on uh, riders. Uh, then there's a grocery platform, then Express Pickup and so on and so forth, right? And Reverse Pickup and all of these things. For a typical, you know, D2C brand or an SME company to set up all of this stuff will require a lot of logistics and infrastructure and resources. But 
they don't really have to do all of that because there is plug and play available in the form of all of these other entities right so i think they will all find some place in this entire ondc network and it will not just be e-commerce platforms basically right it will involve plenty of others i did an episode sometime back with uh, you know nikhil of seto and uh, mr koshi who is the ceo of ondc on bharat varta it's a very comprehensive episode on what the ondc will entail but it's exciting stuff for sure so from last week uh, the largest acquisition i mean this wasn't out of india but you know something which i was personally very interested on amazon acquiring irobot maker the robotic vacuum cleaner roomba now this is an all cash deal which is for about 1.7 billion dollars and it's also the latest push by amazon to expand its suite of smart home devices all the tech giants right apple amazon google all all of these folks have been you know investing heavily into smart home devices right but amazon's acquisition of roomba that already has a map of your house like the spatial map of your house i think that kind of unlocks tons and tons of data and especially if you pair it with devices like the echo dot or alexa now this just like puts in so much of power into the tech giants and this loosely ties back to the consumer data protection bill as well so how do you see this whole smart home ecosystem evolving well, i mean the problems keep uh, getting exacerbated as much as you know we have newer and cooler and more innovative products and services right that's just how it is you are right you know i mean you don't even have to be on a device right now for data being collected right i mean uh, amazon itself has ring as alexa and uh, Roomba as well right you know Roomba is an interesting story i mean uh, they've been uh, very popular and especially post covid uh, you know their sales went up and everything but they haven't been able to launch a second or third product which can be equally successful and amazon also has kiva which uh, you know they bought some time back which they acquired and they have their own appliances as well which not have not been doing as well and a lot of amazon's robotics and automation efforts are are on the back end right i mean mostly focused on warehouses and so on now this is a nice uh, entry into the consumer application space and you know amazon is one of those companies right i mean sitting on piles and piles of cash that it can easily leverage and you know i mean considering that you know it's a it's a downturn right now the market has turned there's a lot of value to be bought for cheap and that is what amazon is doing we'll expect a lot more consolidation amazon in fact bought glow road a couple of weeks back as well which is a social commerce uh, company and uh, you're going to see plenty of this you're going to see plenty of consolidation i would say yeah that's true let's wrap up this week with other fundraise news tech startup web engage raised 20 million dollars from singularity growth opportunities fund swc global indian quotient and bloom ventures fintech startup credible raised 7 million dollars by divesting 5% of its stake to axis bank then uh, ratan tata backed startup generic aadhar said that it has raised an undisclosed amount as part of its series a funding from japanese venture capital firm beyond next ventures now this was at a valuation of 5 500 crores and generic aadhar said that it has diluted close to 10% stake in the latest fundraise what stood out for me was credible's fundraise of 7 million dollars and uh, it was axis bank who bought their 5% stake so to me the highlight is avlesh uh, and webengage raising 20 million dollars right i mean they've gotten to around 2025 million dollars in arr with just about 6 million dollars uh, of capital and webengage is one of those uh, early saas companies and we had him on the podcast and avlesh spoke really really well uh, one of the things that stood out is the amount of optimism he had in emerging markets right in asia and so on where he has started to see you know 
deals of 50k plus uh, being closed here again webengage is a fantastic platform customer engagement is very very important and they process billions of messages uh, on a daily weekly basis it's pretty remarkable again a 10 year plus uh, journey so it's really good to see webengage uh, in the news you know they have 600 plus customers they're growing almost 100% year on year so fantastic i mean uh, another highlight in uh, indian saas i would say So moving on to a talk of town section Roshan what do we have for this week we had a fantastic tweet by Vaibhav Domkundwar who is uh, the founder of Better Capital and you know I call it fantastic because I relate to it a lot he had a distribution of smart people and how positive or negative they are and basically from very negative to very positive majority of smart people tend to lie on the left hand side of things on the very negative side of things and that's what he says in the tweet as well right that I gave up on jamming with smart people due to this most of them are negative it's uh, super hard to find smart and positive people these are the ones that you learn from and can spar with and that's so true you know i mean if you're smart enough you can kind of rationalize yourself out of any billion dollar idea at some point your passion and conviction have to overpower smarts for you to start up in fact morgan housel has a fantastic article called the seduction of pessimism right where he makes this point that pessimism is intellectually seductive in a way optimism only wishes it could be it's a again a fantastic article and a great tweet as well we know plenty of people i mean i myself have more than a few excel sheet business plans that i have rationalized one way or another that you know it will probably not work out and so on i guess it's important to also back yourself you know have conviction and know that you know you you are operating with imperfect information and uh, you will have to sort of take that leap if a business looks really really good on excel then surely something is wrong yep i don't think it gets any truer than that yeah uh, do you have any conversations lined up for this week so i'll be talking to praval singh of zoho he is the head of marketing there he's just finished 10 years at uh, zoho and i'm really curious to understand their journey uh when he joined zoho uh, you know zoho had, had about 15 products and now they have about 55 products and they have since uh, grown tremendously as well right again you know i have huge respect for someone who can do 10 years at uh, a startup right that's uh, no mean feat zoho itself is 25 years and what struck me about the blog that he had written was over 1000 people in zoho have 10 years or more experience right i mean that's that's around 10% of their staff which is fantastic it speaks about their culture their mission and so on yeah so i i'll be talking to him in about a week's time and hopefully it'll be a good marketing conversation we have a few others lined up we will uh, talk about them on our social media as soon as uh, possible all right and folks to stay updated with uh, who we'll be talking to and if you have any questions for the guests feel free to let us know in our social media platforms on linkedin we are the startup operator and our twitter handle is at operator startup you can also drop uh, us an email to our website www.startupoperator.in and let us know how we did this episode in the comment section below and something that really really helps us is if you leave us a comment on your favorite podcasting platform so with that have a fantastic week and we'll be back with more news from the indian startup ecosystem next week thanks guys have a great week ahead